Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it in John's Gospel, the 19th chapter, the 26th verse. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. Lord Jesus Christ, open thou my lips, that my mouth may show forth thy praise. Amen. Good evening, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is nice of you to come to God's house tonight. I hope for the time being you can lay aside any worry that you may have about the weather and about getting home. You have had a big day, and so have I. There was another funeral this afternoon, this service to get ready for. My day started before five o'clock this morning, perhaps yours did too. But I think it's nice at the end of the day, especially in the Lenten season, that we can come into God's house tired physically and perhaps also mentally when we can hear again the story of the sufferings and death of our Lord and also of those contemporaries who played a part in it. On each Wednesday night, we are dealing with some of the characters who again lived in that generation when Jesus was here on earth and who had a part in that crucifixion. And on the basis of God's word, we are asking them to tell us their story. Two weeks ago tonight, we had Judas tell his story of tragedy. Last Wednesday night, you recall, it was Peter who spoke about his denial of the Lord. Tonight, we are going to ask the disciple John to tell his story. And I am sure that when we think of John, we think of very pleasant things, do we not? I believe if John were standing here in this pulpit where I am standing tonight and on the basis of the word of God that his story would be something like this to us. He would say, I am John, the beloved disciple. Perhaps you wonder why five times in the sacred record it says that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. I cannot explain it to you, but I will only say this in all humility, that I was the closest personal friend on earth that our Lord had. He liked me somehow or other more than me that filled his heart. He loves all of us equally, but among his intimate friends, it was in the providence of God my good fortune to be the closest human being to our Lord. When I was born up in Bethsaida in Galilee, that's a small town just east of the place where the mighty Jordan rolls into the Sea of Galilee that my Lord made so famous in his ministry. My father's name was Zebedee, and my mother's name was Salome. 
You may not know it, but that name Salome is the feminine form of Solomon. Well, that was her name. I had an older brother, and his name was James. You call him James the Greater. As I say, I was born in Bethsaida up in Galilee, and my parents gave me the beautiful name of John. It means God is gracious, God is love. I grew up as a fisherman's son because my father was in the fishing business, and James and I, we worked with him just as Andrew and Simon Peter worked also in the fishing business. I grew very strong, and at times I know that you picture me as rather weak and perhaps even as effeminate, but I would tell you that I was every inch a man, being a fisherman, learning how to catch fish, learning how to be in a boat on the sea. It so happened that I was one with my brother James who heard about, again, the strange preaching going on down in Judea. It was my good fortune to have lived at a time in history when I knew John the Baptist intimately, when I knew our Lord intimately, and when I knew Paul of Tarsus intimately. If God had given me a time in history when I could have been born, I would like to tell you tonight that there would be no other time that I would have chosen to come into the world than when I came. I, the closest human friend of our Lord when he was here on earth. Well, my brother and I went on down into Judea and we heard the Baptist preach. And I want to tell you he was mighty in his call to repentance. There was something about the Baptist when again he was clothed with camel's hair and he lived on locusts and wild honey and when he preached repent oh it seemed like he could look right through you and he could see your sin i loved the baptist and so did my brother james and then one day as i was standing there listening to the baptist i do not mention my name in humility in my gospel where i tell you this story it seemed to the Baptist that perhaps it was the greatest moment in his life. A young man was there, and as he walked along by the River Jordan, the Baptist pointed to him, and I heard him say, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I heard that, and so did Andrew. So Andrew and I, we were so taken by that word of the Baptist that as this stranger walked along, Andrew and I followed him, and he turned around, and with a smile he said, Then we turned and we said, Where do you dwell, Master? And he said in a friendly voice, Come and see. So Andrew and I, that day we followed him, and we went to the place where he stayed, and we spent all day, in fact it was about four o'clock in the afternoon before we left him. You have no idea what that meant to me. I, John, I was a little younger than he, and I looked at him, and I saw that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior that had been promised to my people, and I loved him intensely. And I could feel that day that he loved me too. There was something he saw in me, human being though I was, 
that seemed to strike up something precious in his own heart. I came back and as Andrew got his brother Simon, as you heard, I got my brother James and we became then followers of this Jesus. We took that trip with him up to Galilee, to Cana, and I was there with him and I saw that first miracle that he performed when he turned water into wine. It amazed me and I learned to love him more and more, realizing that he was the Son of God. I journeyed with him and we came back into Judea. I was with him when he cleansed the temple. I heard all about his visit with Nicodemus. You know, some 50 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written their gospel, I wrote mine. And even though it was 50 years later, oh, I wrote my memoirs, really his memoirs, and I remembered so many precious things about my Lord that I wanted to write it in a gospel. You know that it's in my gospel, that incident when Nicodemus came by night. I could never forget it, and I thought you would want to have a record of that, and I wrote that in my gospel, where Jesus said to Nicodemus that night, and I know a passage that all of you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was with Jesus when we left Judea and went up through Samaritan country and we came to Jacob's well where your minister had been. And I was there and I saw uh, that woman of Sychar and listened to that conversation. And it's in my gospel that I have told you of that story, that you know about it. Were it not for the gospel that God moved me to write, you wouldn't know that story. I went back to my fishing business for a while, and it was not very long before Jesus came up to the Sea of Galilee. And one day, while I, with my brother James, we were sitting there mending our nets, there was Simon Peter, and there was also Andrew. He came and he looked at us and he said, follow me. And I was one of the group then that followed him. My Lord, as I remember him, was an excellent preacher. You know, in your day, when you come into church, usually you always take the back seat first. And those of you that come forward, come forward because it's the only place you can go. That wasn't the case when my master preached. All the crowds came and they heard him and they forced up to him that one day they were so close to him and he was standing on the shore, lest he be forced into the water. He got into a boat and he had them put the boat out into the sea because of the press of the multitude. Oh, when he preached, there was an authority about him that the Pharisees and the scribes didn't have. I loved to hear him preach. I was with him, the beloved disciple. He wanted me close to him. With Peter and James, I was along up in the room where Jairus's daughter had died, and I saw him raise her from the dead when he said, Young lady, I say unto thee, Arise. And I was with him up on Mount Tabor. Your minister has a picture of that mountain, which is the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and James were along too. We were the inner circle. I was the one who, by the grace of God, 
that he loved and liked most of all. Seemingly, I must have understood him more than the rest. And I saw the glory come forth from his countenance and from his raiment. And in my gospel, I have told you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. I saw it with my own eyes. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, I was with him so often because he wanted me there. I had my faults. Oh, I was quick in my zeal because I loved him so dearly. We one time were traveling from Galilee and we were going to Jerusalem and we were coming down to Samaritan country and he told my brother and me to go into a little village and to find a place where he might stay overnight and James and I went into that village and we asked the Samaritans if they wouldn't let our Lord Jesus stay there that night and because they knew we were going to Jerusalem and were not going to stop at Mount Gerizim they refused my Lord a place to stay and all oh, my zeal was so great for him that I couldn't stand to have anybody hurt him. And I again, my temper flared up and I came back to him and I said, Lord, command that I can call down fire and we'll destroy that village. You know, he looked at me in my youthful enthusiasm and he had a smile on his face. And he said to my brother James and me, he called us nicknamed Sons of Thunder or Boanerges. In other words, he told me, John, just quiet down. Don't let again your enthusiasm and your temper run away. I had to learn too. Then there was another time when I met a man who was driving out devils in the name of Jesus and because he wasn't one of us, one of our followers, I told him he shouldn't do that. And I came back to Jesus and I told him, and I thought I had done something real nice. I told him to stop driving out devils in your name because he was not one of our followers. And then again, my Lord, who loved me so dearly and I loved him, he gently rebuked me and he said, John, remember, if he isn't against us, he's for us. So I had to be corrected at times. Oh, there were many times and those things happened. And there was one time when my mother Salome, oh, she loved Jesus one day and we knew what she was going to ask. She said to him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you let my sons, one sit on the throne on your right hand and one on the left, that John can be on one side and James on the other. Oh, that was selfish. Uh, Jesus understood it. I meant well. My mother meant well. But Jesus said that that was not for him to give, but that was, again, the right of his heavenly Father. But in my zeal, because I loved him so intently, again, I became selfish at times, and he corrected me. And then came the upper room. And you're wondering what happened there. In pictures that you see of me, usually I am pictured as looking something like my master. And I suppose your artists do that because my master spoke of me as a disciple whom he loved. He somehow or other found comfort in my presence. And in the upper room, he had me seated right next to him. I had my head on his bosom, on his chest, you remember, when the rest were asking, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And I just looked up at him and I said, Lord, who is it? I whispered it because Peter had asked me to do that. And Jesus whispered to me, he it is to whom I shall give the sop when I have dipped it. And I knew then that it was Judas when he handed it because Jesus had whispered that to me. 
I was in the upper room, and I heard some beautiful words up there. Over 50 years later in my gospel, I wrote them down because I thought maybe you would like them. And I have wondered how often you have been comforted by those words which I, by the grace of God, have preserved in my gospel. The words you remember, and oh, I heard Jesus speak them, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Those words are found in the gospel that by the grace of the Holy Spirit I was able to write. How many times when death came to your house have those words comforted you? God enabled me to remember them and to write them down for your comfort. That in the upper room, and then we left the upper room, and I walked with my Lord, and we crossed the brook Kedron, and we came up the road of the Mount of Olives, and we came into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then it was, you know, that Jesus asked Peter and James, and he asked me to go into the garden just a little farther, and I am sorry to have to tell you again that I fell asleep for grief, that I didn't stay awake, and neither did, neither did Peter and James, and oh, it... It almost broke my Lord's heart when he came back and he saw again the three of us sleeping, but we slept for grief. And then, of course, came the tragedy when Judas came and he betrayed my Lord. All of us forsook him for a while, but I came back. I followed at a distance, and I was with Peter, and I followed the soldiers as they took him to the palace at Caiaphas. It so happened that I knew Caiaphas personally. I had no trouble, therefore, getting into the courtyard. Peter didn't know Caiaphas, and therefore he was not permitted to come. I was the one who arranged it so that Peter could come in. It hurt me later when I heard Peter denying his Lord that perhaps I was partly guilty because I had gotten him into that courtyard had it not been for me, he would not have been able to have gotten in there, to have warmed his hands, and to have denied his Lord and cursed and to have sworn like he did, that he even convinced all of them that he couldn't have been one of Jesus' followers. But I followed along, and I stayed as close as I could, and I followed him then to the cross. I stood there, and his mother Mary was alongside of me. I, I didn't say anything to him. I knew that he have found this in life. There are times when you don't have to talk. And I'm sure your minister has found this experience too, that you can stand at a deathbed and you just need to hold somebody's hand and you don't have to talk. I stood at the cross, and I didn't say anything, but he looked down, and he saw that I was there. John, the one that he loved so dearly, and I loved him. He spoke to me once. He spoke first so gently to his mother. He said, Woman, behold thy son, and then he looked at me, 
And he said to me, Behold, thy mother. I knew what he meant. Perhaps you wonder why it is that when he had brothers and sisters, he asked me when he was on the cross to take care of his mother. May I remind you that it was not until after his resurrection that his brothers believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so in his own way, he wanted me to take care of his mother. There at the cross, I nodded and he understood. I didn't have to say anything. I let him know that I would take care of Mary, and I did. I took her to my home, and she stayed with me until her dying day. Oh, it broke my heart when I saw the Savior, my Lord, die. I was beginning to understand what Calvary meant, but it broke my heart because I loved him so dearly, and I knew that he loved me. But I stayed there till again. His eyes were closed in death, and I watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take his body from the cross. I, John, the beloved disciple, I stayed in Jerusalem after his ascension. I stayed there and I worked with the Apostle Peter and we preached about the love of this Jesus. And then after the destruction of Jerusalem in about the year 70, I left Jerusalem and I went over and made my home in Ephesus over in Asia Minor. If you remember of the Apostle Paul, whom I learned to know and whom I learned to love, on his third missionary journey had spent three years in the city of Ephesus and Asia Minor, which is now modern Turkey, as you remember. And there he established a large Christian church. And there I spent the remainder of my days. God allowed me there at Ephesus to write the gospel that you know as the gospel according to St. John. Fifty years after my Lord's death and resurrection, I was enabled by the Holy Spirit's guidance to write the memoirs of my Lord and to give you and the church of this 20th century as well as the other centuries some of the intimate, wonderful things that I recalled about my Lord that you would not know had the Holy Spirit not allowed me to have written that gospel. But then you also find in your New Testament that there are three letters that bear my name, first and second and third John written by me, and then the last book in the New Testament, the book that you know of as the book of Revelation or called the Apocalypse. I was banished on the island of Patmos because of my faith, and on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean or the Aegean Sea, Jesus came to me and the vision of Revelation was mine. And God enabled me to write that book that you find so difficult to understand. But a book of victory, a book of encouragement for the Christian church to let you know that the kingdom of God is going to come out victorious. There are five books in the New Testament, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was unable to write. It is said that 
when I became old and rather feeble, that they had to carry me to the church at Ephesus, and that I always preached one sermon, and it was very brief, and it was this. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. I was the only one of the twelve that died a natural death. God preserved me to the end, and God used me. I preached little children love one another. I want to tell you about that. Oh, we love one another in that early Christian church. Some of you feel that you find a greater fellowship outside of the church. Some of you come into the church and you feel alone. You feel lonely. You feel like you don't belong. But in that first century when I lived, when the enemies of Jesus those who persecuted Christians, those who threw them to the lions in the Colosseum in Rome, when they saw us, they said this, see how they love one another. Oh, I wish that you could feel that love that we had for one another in that church at Ephesus. I would like to just see if you can't feel it just a little bit. Would you please stand by at this time? Would you please? I wonder if you will cross your arms and join hands with the person alongside of you. If you are in the pew alone, will you move over so someone will join hands with you? Children, will you join him? I hope that in Emmanuel tonight, as I, John, preach, that there is no one now in church who is standing alone. I hope that all of you have joined hands with somebody else. Do you feel a oneness in Christ? Do you feel as we felt in the first century, this is the grandest fellowship on earth? We believed it because we were one in Jesus Christ. How many are here tonight? You feel alone. You've, you've got a heavy heart. Nobody cares. I wanted you to join hands that every one of you tonight can say, yes, Christians do care. This is the greatest, the mightiest, the most marvelous fellowship on earth. Can you feel the presence of Jesus Christ? And I, John, would say this. If you are joined hands with somebody you don't know, will you, in the name of Jesus Christ, at the close of the service, say hello, that we could go out of this church tonight feeling something of the love, of the nearness,
of the presence of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the tie that binds you, sing, our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. That's my story. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the most intimate personal friend that my Lord had on earth. I thank God for that, but he loves you just as much as he loves me. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen.
Almighty God, our light and our salvation, we adore and praise thee for thy manifold works of mercy and love toward all the children of men, but especially for the gift of thine only begotten Son, to whom thou gavest triumphant ascension into heaven to sit upon thy right hand, far above all principalities and powers, and a name that is above every name, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. We thank thee that thou hast thus crowned him with glory for his perfect life, his loving obedience, his innocent suffering, and his redeeming death. And as thou hast raised him as king over all the earth and head over all the church, may we also confess that he is the true Lord of our hearts and the only Savior of men. For this pure and holy intention, O God, may thy Holy Spirit give us understanding and knowledge concerning the things that pertain to thine eternal kingdom. Comfort and strengthen us by the light of heavenly truth as the Spirit illumines our minds. To thy Spirit teach us of thy manifold grace in Jesus and lead us into the paths of brotherly love, fervent charity, and willing generosity. Let him inspire us to give heed to this hour of history and to this time in our lives and to watch and pray that we fall not into temptation. And in any testing of our faith, grant us by thy spirit to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of our Lord. All who serve in thy church endow in full measure with the mind of thy spirit, that Christ may be confessed with all faithfulness, his cross uplifted and his gospel declared as the only power unto salvation. Grant thy ministers and missionaries grace and power and thy people zeal for thy house. Give thy blessing to all parents that they may be wholesome examples to encourage their children in love toward thee, in the practice of virtue, in the desire to pursue learning to its foundation, and in usefulness to thy church and to all men. Pour out thy spirit upon our nation, that our people may dwell in peaceful homes and serve thee in all godliness and honor. To this end, bestow thy benediction on all who labor with mind or hand, that they may work with diligence and honesty and receive the just reward of their toil. Give us sanctified intelligence to all in government that they may perform their duties in such manner as to receive thy favor. Hear the prayers of all who are afflicted with any adversity. In the quiet hours of the night when there is no one to lighten the way to pain, loneliness, and anxiety, grant unto them strength and hope in the assurance of thy love, of thy power, and thy nearness. We ask it in thy blessed name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
receive the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.